All right, good morning, everyone. The scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 1, 20 through 23. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. The word of the Lord. And God created the great sea monsters. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, day five we are on today, and we have stepped away from the Revised Common Lectionary, for the series that we felt was very important for our church as we turn three in just a few weeks and as we launch into a new beginning. We were talking about a lot of things. We're talking about church planting. Uh, We're going to plant our first church on the east side of the Twin Cities. And uh, if if you weren't here for that, go back in the podcast and listen. It's on day three of this series called Seeds. Aaron Freer is going to be the pastor of this church. And uh, Aaron's actually not here today because he's at a church planter training, which I was at yesterday uh, doing some training, and I'm so excited for that. So make sure to check that out. But day one, we looked at the fact, day one of creation, where God said, let there be light. We looked at the fact that light was drawn out of darkness. And we saw these seven days of creation, not as just a historical event, which happened in time many, many, many years ago debatable how many, Uh, but it's also a pattern for our own becoming. It's a pattern that we can recognize where we are, where we have been, and where we're going in our own lives. As we look at the invitations that God has for us, like current day, we can see ways in which we're in day one, maybe. We're in day two. So day one, God draws the light out of the tohu vavohu. So maybe you're in day one right now, and there's an illness, or there's an end to a relationship, or an end to a job, or the birth of a new baby. JJ is here. Can we call him JJ? Can I call him JJ? We're not going to call him JJ. We're definitely not going to call him JJ. I sense that right away from Laura. (laughs) You can call him James. Thank you very much. He's here at church. So day one is all about emerging from the chaotic tohu vavohu into light. And then day two is about being expanded. Think about it like a pregnancy. When God births something in you, there's a part of you that needs to grow so you can hold the life that God wants to bring out of you. And that's a season of uncomfortableness. I'm a writer. Pretty sure that's not a word. And day three is when the seeds that have been implanted in you by God burst forth, containing seeds of future life within them. And so this is really the good stuff that God put inside of you so that it can come out and bless the world. That's day three. And then day four is all about the seasons in which we inhabit. Last week, we looked at the seasons of waiting and hope and abundance and loss and the fact that you're going to go through all of those seasons as you go through the cycle of days one through three. So that gets us to day five. 
And what I know through experience and just by looking around at people, if you do the courageous work of coming out of the darkness of day one and saying yes to the expansion that God has for you in day two, and then actually watching the seeds of life burst forth from you in surprising and mysterious ways, and then if you go through the seasons of waiting and hoping and abundance and loss, there is something that will face you, and it's irrefutable. What will face you is opposition. And thus, in day five, we need to face our monsters. So as Brittany read just a couple of minutes ago, God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. And I want to pause there and do an all-play question. So all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. The chorus is so much better. In the ancient Hebrew times, what came out of the waters? What were the waters known for? <laughs> you fish, definitely. Any, any nerds in here? Any total Hebrew geeks? What, what do the waters represent? Mystery, Mystery chaos. chaos. Thank you, Micah. The, say it again. Life, yes, and sometimes hidden life, which could be dangerous. The waters represented fear and chaos and mystery and tohu vavohu, actually. And so when we read that um, God created the swarms of living creatures, the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, and that was called good, when you read that or heard it being read to you, you would say, wait, what? How can that be good? So uh, the, the Hebrew word for great sea monsters, lest you thought I was making that up, is taniin. It does mean, could mean whales, could mean creatures, but in the Hebrew, it really means dragon, serpent, sea monster, or venomous snake. Friendly things. Thank you very much. In Job 7.12, we read about the Taniin described as the monster of the deep. In Isaiah 51.9, we read about the Taniin that only God can kill it. In Deuteronomy 32.33, Moses talks about the Taniin as a dangerous snake with poisonous venom that could kill. So on day five, what is created sounds very dangerous and not very good at all. And if you've faced down any kind of monster in your life and come out the other side, you might talk about it like, you know, it was like the worst thing that I ever had to go through, but going through it was maybe the best thing I ever did. Anyone been there? Maybe you've struggled with addiction. And when you were confronted with that by people who love you, that was facing the biggest monster you have ever faced. And going through the process of getting sober from whatever it is that you needed to be sober from was a terrifying monster. And you thought it was going to bring you down. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was the end of a relationship. Um, maybe it was someone that had a lot of authority in your life telling you that you didn't have what it takes to do whatever it is that you thought you wanted to do. Maybe it was an authority figure in your life that you always wanted to get affirmed from, 
and you never got it. Or you got affirmed for all the wrong things, all the things that you had to perform hard for, but it wasn't really who you were. So you had to face down the monster of, does anyone really see who I am and what I bring? So if you've had to face that kind of a monster, before you get to the part where you say, this is the best thing that happened in my life, you think, I think this thing could kill me. I talked to someone recently that left a pretty high-paying job to launch out on his own, <laughs> where nothing was secure. And I could see that in one eye there was excitement, and in one eye there was fear, because <laughs> he knew he was going to have to face his monsters. I talked to someone else recently, and um, they were going through their own recovery, and they had a setback. And I saw the shame in their face, in their eyes, when they had to say, man, the monster beat me recently. I talked to someone else who had a miscarriage after hoping and praying that they would get pregnant and have a family. And that person is facing a monster. I just talked about Aaron in church planting. One eye, super excited. The other eye, terrified. Because it means leaving what's comfortable to go do something that's fully unknown. And when you plant a church or do anything courageous, um, you wonder... Uh, if, if, if anyone will show up ever. We're three years into it. And at 9.32, when all of you guys are in the parking lot still or in the lobby, <laughs> I'm still thinking this is the week where it all... And last week, it really actually felt like that. <laughs> like at 10. Um, so you have to face... You have to face... <laughs> it really did. I had to do some work after that, um, like internal work, you know. Um, thank you, Joe. Um, I was talking to someone who works uh, as a counselor, and my friend said, you know, I just am with so many marriages that are falling apart, and I could just tell the, the weight in my friend's voice. So many marriages are facing monsters, they're terrifying. And the messages that you get from the monster, whatever it is, is who are you to think you can do that? And you're never going to be enough to make it through whatever it is that you want to make it through. So like sometimes if you're trying to do something brave, the monster says, well, why you? Are you serious? You're going to do that? You're going to go to Israel-Palestine? You're going to write about it and blog about it? You're going to start that new business? You're going to try to have a kid again? You're going to try to save your marriage? Seriously? You? Come on. Let's look at your track record. You've never finished anything. So it's getting real quiet in here, because this is the sound of the monster. So I want to tell you a story about King David before he was a king. Before he was a king, he was a handsome 16-year-old. We read that in the scriptures, ruddy, which is not a word we use, but I think we should bring it back. 
man, that's Steve Haynes. He is ruddy. <laughs> Steve hates me right now. He's just shooting daggers of hatred. But Greg Tamburino is a ruddy man back there playing the bass. Amen. Um, before David was king, he was called the Hakatan. He was the youngest of eight boys. There's probably girls too, but they didn't count girls back then, um, which is tragic. But David was out in the fields when uh, Jesse was called by the prophet to line up his set, his, all of his sons to anoint the next king. So Samuel comes in. It's got to be the first son. God says, no, it's not going to be the first son, even though he was ruddy. He was even more handsome, tall. He goes through all seven sons. It's not him. And then he, you know the story. He says, the prophet says to Jesse, Don't, do you have any more sons? He says, well, yeah, I do have the Hakatan. And the Hakatan means youngest, the runt of the litter, the insignificant one. Can you imagine being a son, knowing that your other brothers are lined up in front of the prophet to do something super important, and you're not even invited in? Some of you can imagine that. So uh, Jesse says, yeah, I have, I have one more son. He brings David in, and David is anointed king. But he doesn't become king for at least 10 more years. So if you've ever had to wait for something, David had to wait. And David went back to being a shepherd, back to watching sheep and smelling like sheep. And then uh, the Israelites were in, in a sort of stalemate war situation with the Philistines, and there was this giant named Goliath who was standing in the bottom of this ravine, challenging any one person to a fight. And it was very, an actually surprisingly humane way to handle a dispute between countries. Instead of you know, armies slaughtering each other, we're just going to do one-on-one. May the best man win, but Goliath was huge, and everyone was afraid. And uh, Jesse, David's father, sent David to see to his brothers. And he sent him with bread and cheese. Now, you're the anointed king of Israel, slash the cheese boy. (laughs) Take some grain and some bread, and oh, by the way, take a wheel of cheese to your brothers and come back and let me know how they're doing. David does it. But when he gets there, In verse 24 of 1 Samuel 17, we read this. All the Israelites, when they saw Goliath, this monster, they fled from him. They were very much afraid. And I think this happened, really, but I also think Goliath represented everything that Israel was afraid of. Their religion was going to get squashed, and it it was going to be game over. But David said, when he saw this hulk of a giant, Screaming out, David said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Ha <laughs> ha! 16 years old. But David had something. David had some tove inside of him. David had some seeds of life that had been growing in him for many, many years, and they were ready to come out. And he was the first person to say, Wait a minute, Goliath isn't bigger than our God. Everyone was terrified. And so here's an all-play question. What happens when you have the courage to name what others are afraid to name? What happens when you have the courage to name what others are afraid to name? Ah, thanks, Jenny. People get a little angry with you. What else? Say it again, George. 
Freedom happens because you're no, you, now you're dangerous. Now you have nothing to lose because you said it. You become responsible, Greg. I wish you could come join me here. You're on the front line of the battle now. You just went from the back to the front. Oh, Andrew, your supporters emerge. Maybe there aren't that many. What else emerges? Ha-ha! I don't know anything about that, Joe. Your past comes to you. So here's what happens in the story, verse 28 of first... I, I can't leave my legs just normal, you know what I mean? Even, even when I'm sitting. I thought, for, for this sermon, I want to sit. I'm not going to do any lunges, or, and I still, I just can't. Here we go. <laughs> Facing my monster. <laughs> we can edit that out of the podcast, right? Um, verse 28, his brother, oldest brother, Eliab, remember the guy who was passed over first from Samuel to be king, heard David talking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, why have you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep? In the wilderness. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? It was only a question. <laughs> what is Eliab telling David? You're not worthy. Those few sheep, all you had to do, your only job was tending four sheep. Who's watching them now? And, and he goes after not just that, but he goes after what else? His heart. I know your heart. I know what's really inside of you. I'm your older brother. I've known you since you were a pipsqueak. You're still a hockeyton, and I know your heart. What's the, this is an all-play question. What's the temptation here if you're David? To walk away and to say, he's right. My heart is bad. He's right. I'm nothing. What does David say? You don't know me. It was only a question. All the rabbis ask good questions. I'm just following. So your monster might come in the form of your family, telling you that you're not enough and trying to put you in your place. That's true. So if that's your story, if it's happening now or if it's happened in the past, it's true. Your family knows you, but they might not know you as well as God knows you. Because remember what God said when God anointed David, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So David remembered that. Wait a minute, Eliab, my heart is not evil, it's good. God called it good, so I'm going to bank on that. Verse 32, David keeps going. So he makes it past his family, which you have to do if you're going to face your monsters. You've got to make it past your family. Then he goes to the king, he goes to Saul, and he says to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him, the monster, Goliath. Your servant, me, I will go and fight with this Philistine. So Saul then said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. What is Saul saying to David? Now, he's made it past his family, huge. What is Saul now saying to David? You're not good enough, man. 
Goliath has been fighting since he was a youth. And Malcolm Gladwell hadn't even written the book yet, so he, he couldn't read that. Google that later. You'll get the joke. Uh, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a hakatan. You're just a boy. Your monster might come in the form of, of authority, wondering who you think you are to do something like what you're trying to do. And if you can't make it past that, then you're not the king. You have to make it past authority, voices in authority that tell you you're not enough. I'll never forget a moment, and I wrote about this in Beginnings, where I was sitting in front of a pastor who was kind of a loose cannon, but he was my pastor at the time, and I was trying to speak, and I wasn't doing a very good job of it, and it was a very big stage, and I wasn't really feeling it very well, and he looked at me, and he said, you have not found your voice. You can't fill up that room with your voice. You've got to change. It's awful what you're doing. <laughs> and words are my seeds of life. They have been for years, but they came under direct attack, and I went down. I didn't fight him. I didn't say, hey, it was just a question. I spiraled down into a place of darkness, quit that job, literally moved into my parents' basement at age 33, which, as I've said before, is what you do when you're killing it at life. <laughs> Um, the monster won. The monster beat me. But Saul gave David a shot. He said, all right, you want to fight him? Verse 38 of 1 Samuel 17, Saul clothed David with his own armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk. <laughs> he can get the picture right. Then <laughs> ah. David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these. I'm not used to them. So David removed them. David removed the armor that wasn't his. All play question. What did David just do? He became himself. Thank you, Rick. You trusted in God to protect him. Thank you. Yes. He took off somebody else's image of him. He became vulnerable. Did you say that, Deva? Thank you. He became vulnerable. No shield. No helmet. I mean, this is an unbelievably courageous act. Every time you go against family and authority and choose to be you, no one else but you. God will never be more with you, but you'll never be more vulnerable. Amen? Amen. 
So your monster might try to make you think you need to be someone else in order to do what you're called to do. But the thing is, you can't do what God is calling you to do as anyone but you. That's the trick. (laughs) You have to do it as you. So David took his staff in his hand. Remember, he was a what? He was a shepherd. So he's going to face this Goliath, this monster, and he brings his shepherd's staff. So cute. Isn't that cute? Brings his shepherd's staff. And then he chose five smooth stones from the wadi, the river, and he put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. Took a slingshot in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. Okay, Rick, you can't play. What is he doing when he's reaching down and reaching for those five smooth stones? What is, what is, what is five? Why is it five? Were there five Goliaths? Was he not trusting it? Well, I got five shots at this guy. Oh, Jenny, say more. Torah? Five books in the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Torah means to throw in a direction, to aim for something, to try to hit a target. And so when the writer says David picks five smooth stones, the writer is saying David is trusting in God. David is, David is being flung out toward a target, and that target is Israel. David is the one that God has, and God is throwing David toward a target, and David is saying yes. David is trusting in the way of God and the story of God. And if we are going to be ourselves and bring out the seeds of life and face our monsters, we're going to have to follow God with our life, holding on to who we are in one hand. That's the staff. Whoever you are, got to hold on to that. And then with your other hand, you have to find yourself within the story of God. The Torah is the story of God, the story of God's people. One hand, who are you? The other hand, where am I in the story? And the story, the arc of the story of God is God is always making all things new, always redeeming all things. Can you join God in that work? Do you want to join God in that work? Do you want to go toward that direction? That's the target that God is aiming for, amen? Restoration of all things. So question, what messages, what monsters are opposing you and who are they coming from? Who are you to think you can do that? You'll never be enough. Who are they coming from and what are they saying? And how will you move through those messages so that you can keep the voice of God speaking in your ears, so that you can keep doing the work of God in your life. Who do you need to say no to? Who do you need to oppose? Who do you need to stand against so that you can keep walking toward the life that God wants to spring out from you? You'll probably get resistance from your family on some level, from authority on some level, but will you keep moving toward the target that God has for you? Several weeks ago, I started feeling like I was facing my own monsters. I started praying 
a certain prayer um, just about every morning. And it's the St. Patrick's Breastplate Prayer, which I want to read to you. Um, you can Google this and you can find it, St. Patrick's Breastplate. But this is my prayer for myself when I face my own monsters. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and near, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every one who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. And that's rising with the strength that you need to face your monsters. Amen? So we're going to move toward 60 seconds of silence, after which time I'll read, this, I'll read the prayers of response, and then Scott will come and lead us through the Eucharist. I want to encourage you to open your heart and notice the love that God has for you, the support that God is flowing toward you through the Spirit, a word that God might have for you. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us now.